We used to be good friends, but that's all come to an end. Hello, lovely people. As always, this is your host, Gabby Scott, with another episode of We Were the Best of Friends Until We Weren't. So just want to put a warning out there. Today is a little bit of a tough topic on today's episode. Um, a little bit of a trigger warning as far as something that can be a little bit hard to listen to or to talk about. So I want to say that now. Um, recently, there was a sudden death in my hometown back in San Diego. And although I wasn't specific, specifically close with this person, many of my good friends growing up were. And I've seen the impact of his death, which has been such a testimony to the sweet and loving person that he was. And I know it's been tough for my friends going through the emotions and coping with it. And I know just in general, coping with the loss of a friend is never easy. And I haven't had to go through experience myself. So I've brought someone on here who has. And Garrett has been gracious enough to share his experience, how he coped, and how he keeps his best friend's legacy alive. I know, again, this is something that's not easy to talk about, but I do hope we can have sort of a positive outlook on it and that this episode can help my people back home and anyone else who's had to grieve the loss of a friend. So first, thank you, Garrett, so much for coming on here and just being so gracious and vulnerable with us. It's such a special experience to have you on here today. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. And so I want to first ask, you know, what kind of made you even want to be on this podcast when I asked you, obviously, it's a topic that's not easy to talk about. So I'm interested to what made your decision. Yeah, I, I think two things. I think, first of all, like one, I just love that you're doing this. And I love that you're leveraging your platform and like, trying to talk about things that matter um, and are substantive, especially in a day and age where things can kind of come off as more superficial and a little bit more surface level. But secondarily, I think like, I don't know, I, since, since Kyle's passing, like it's an area like mourning and grieving and lamenting, like that whole thing, like has trying to figure out like what that means to me and what that process looks like. I know that so many people go through it and I think it's just a really, really common experience that everyone deals with differently, but I've come to kind of like understand like the vitality of it and how like a lot of people sometimes don't actually go through the process and kind of suppress and that leads to like a lot of long-term like issues and ramifications um, over time that kind of end up percolating the surface with aggression or passive aggressiveness or right. frustration or negative emotion. So like it's an area that's near and dear to my heart because of the experience I went through. And so, um, yeah, just wanted to be able to talk about it more with people and have a little bit more of a voice there. Absolutely. And that's exactly what I want to deep dive in as we go through this whole thing. And before that, I definitely want you for our audience to know, just tell us about who the per- who Kyle was as a person, what the friendship was like that you two had. Yeah, Kyle is Kyle is special. Um, he, for context, I mean, like one of those really charismatic, really attractive personalities, like everyone flocks to him in a room, like he walks in, he doesn't take himself too seriously. Like everyone likes him, everyone knows his name, you know, everyone wants to befriend him kind of thing. Like was also and simultaneously like I don't want to you know he's he's fantastic and like super goofy guy like mm-hmm. very like you know like says like very like one-off statements um that like are just like well, like did that even make sense but because it was Kyle it was always just like you know instantly humorous mm-hmm. um and yeah so like in addition to that he was just he was really kind 
Um, he's a really kind guy. Like he cared. Uh, he listened super well. He wanted, he, while everyone wanted to befriend him, he simultaneously wanted to befriend others. Mm-hmm. Did a great job listening, did a great job, like hearing people. Um, yeah. And, and I think like, we just grew close, like during my first, my freshman year, because like he was my training partner and, you know, like we pushed each other a lot and like, granted, like I had no idea that he was pushing me while he was dealing with stage four stick cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, like he, he just, he worked really, really hard. And like, mm-hmm. I did a bunch of research on him coming into Colorado and I, like I saw his accolades and I was like, this is the kid I'm training. Like, I was like, <laughs> I was like, yo, I'm gonna walk on, calm down. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so like that, that inspired and motivated me like right off the get go to kind of like take it really seriously and recognize like the, the person that I was being able to train with and that kind of honor that that was. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's like a little bit of context in his character and his abilities and things like that. Happy to provide more. Absolutely. I mean, I know I felt that because it was on my visit around the time obviously he passed, even before just how much people still talk about him to this day. It's like you can almost still feel what his energy was like and his presence and everything. I think it just spoke to me. We have obviously his quotes and everything on our walls at Colorado. So it's just definitely a testament to who he was as a person. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. And if you can go, because I know obviously a little bit about it, like you said, as far as the stage four cancer, just a kind of a short breakdown of what his journey was like as far as with the cancer and what that was like for you going through that with him as one of his close friends yeah so it was actually so it was halfway through freshman year and I remember like right before Christmas break coach Drew called us in and essentially what like had us all sit down and Kyle made the announcement um you know and Kyle given like his, his the nature of his character we all like him standing in front of us we're all like okay what's the joke what's going on and then the punchline like, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And there's like a really somber tone. And he kind of said that he hadn't been sleeping well for a couple of days. Um, then went and got an MRI, found out it was cancer, and then um, just said that he'd be taking some time away from the team. And I, I think uh, immediately after that, he withdrew a little bit. And and so like, it was, it was hard to get in contact with him, but it was actually through this that I became really close with his parents um, and was able to talk to them. I was like, Hey, you know, what's the severity here? How's Kyle doing? And he, I think he was just doing it as like a defense mechanism to kind of like really kind of seem strong and still paint the facade that he's, everything was okay. And so actually through like that vulnerability and like kind of some reaching out, like we were able to have some like hard conversations and some like tough emotions were shared in the midst of it. Cause it's like, you want to have the kind of mindset of like strength and fortitude and like resiliency, even in something that's as painful as this, but like there are very raw emotions that are present that you can't kind of gloss over and that I think are really healthy to acknowledge. And I think Kyle did that. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, after, after the diagnosis, he kind of took time away from the team. He went through 13 rounds of chemo and radiation. Um, that sub- so that was in December of 2013. And then all 2014 was like doing that. He made some videos. He, he, he like befriended some kids at the, uh, the Denver like children's hospital there. And, you know, like gave a little bit of a snippet into like what it was like to kind of fight cancer. And it like, he, he would go to radiation at eight, he'd get chemo for a couple hours at nine. Um, then he'd be out on the track or at red rocks, you know, doing workouts mm-hmm. and pushing himself. And, um, yeah. And so that, that was kind of like, he came back and we lived with one another my sophomore year. Cause he got a, fifth or sixth year I don't know he's old um <laughs> of, of eligibility by NCAA and then he um yeah he was going back and forth between like 
to Dallas to kind of get some like really uh, advanced special treatments. Mm-hmm. And I don't, the, the crazy thing was like, nobody knew the extent, like everyone was like very much anticipating that he was going to come back. Like none of us knew what stage it was. Um, the kind of how he was conveying things was like, I, I got it. Like, I'm going to beat it. I'm going to beat it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I actually remember around Christmas time, because like I said, we, we, got some exposure back and forth my first mm-hmm. semester sophomore year then the, a year after his diagnosis I remember uh I got word from his mom that he had um had a brain aneurysm and still like in my head I was kind of like okay but like yeah, it's Kyle yeah. it's right. I came downstairs and I told my mom and she was she started crying and I was like why are you crying mom like why are you crying it's Kyle yeah. uh he, he, she's like no Gary like people people don't come back from brain aneurysms and I was like mm-hmm. Yeah, I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if that's, and that was actually when I went to visit him in the hospital during his last month. Uh, I talked to his mom and she, that's when she told me like he had been diagnosed from stage four from the beginning. Um, wow. Yeah. And, and yeah, so that, I mean, that's mm-hmm. a little bit of like the trajectory of, you know, kind of his journey through that. Mm-hmm. And so a couple questions from there. So what was it like then having basically those last few weeks when you basically knew your best friend was going to pass away obviously some people in certain cases it's a sudden death they had no time to prepare what was that like that you just knew basically that was going to come once you did have the realization of how severe the situation was um it's a great question I think I think I held on to hope until the very end Mm -hmm. um and not uh, maybe maybe from like a subtle defense mechanism or coping mechanism rather mm-hmm. to kind of like be like nope can't happen it's Kyle too close known too intimately uh, but I also think like I genuinely believed it because of like how he had been poised throughout it all and um, just because like I, I guess that maybe that's like a psychological thing when you're that close to somebody you just can't like reconcile the fact that you are actually in them especially at such a young age. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not something I was familiar with. And so I think like how I navigate it was very much like the, the one time I did see him for like, I think it was my third or fourth time visiting the hospital during that month. And I kind of like, I remember a moment where like he moved his hand ever so slightly. And then I was, I was alone with him in the room and like he kind of rolled over and it looked, it felt like he was looking at me. And I just remember feeling so utterly helpless in that moment that like I I wanted like there was there was nothing I could do right like Mm -hmm. he he is in a coma he recently had a brain aneurysm was not conscious and I remember kind of thinking to myself like that like that's when the despair set in um and that was the um and then he passed away a few days later Mm -hmm. um but yeah I think like in the moment as it's all like happening you know, I don't know if I was like conscious of the emotions I was feeling. It was right. just very raw. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was very, it was very new and nascent. And, you know, it, it wasn't something that like I necessarily had the words for in the time. And it took a lot of like subsequent processing to kind of like articulate the intensity of our, our, our relationship and the impact he had on me. Um, but yeah, in the moment it was very, very jarring. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. And at any point, like basically, once you like said figured out how severe the situation was, did you feel any anger towards him at all? Like, just like, why did you put on this facade that you were okay or anything? Like, what did was that ever set in or anything? Or are you just like so like I just don't want to lose you that that kind of got put to the side? 
Yeah, I think it was more the latter. And I think mm-hmm. similarly, um, you know, like even while anger could have been something people mm-hmm. felt in that, I just didn't think of it was like necessary for me specifically. Like mm-hmm. I didn't feel it was uh, like a healthy response given like that, like I didn't have authority over the situation. Like it mm-hmm. wasn't like, wasn't my decision to, you know, navigate or not disclose things the way that he did. Like, I felt like he was entitled to that in large part because it could have like overwhelmed him all the more. It could have been like drawn out into like this very emotionally distraught time. And, you know, if he was able to compartmentalize emotions and feelings and like really focus on it, maybe that's where he, and like just a few intimate people in his family knew the severity of the the situation. Like Mm -hmm. if that helped him cope with it better, like who am I to say, you know, that's not not fair. Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't think, I don't think it was anger. I think it was, I think it was just, I think it was despair and I think it was sorrow. Um, and also with like one thing that like, just real quickly on that, like one Mm -hmm. thing that I've kind of processed since is I didn't have like an expectation of healing or a timeline, Mm -hmm. uh, or anything like that. It was very much like, this is how I feel. And I don't want to like, I, in the past, I'd very much wanted to kind of like not gloss over certain emotions, but not mm-hmm. sit in them for too right, long. Right, get over it. Um, mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. And it's like, okay, when do you feel better? When's hope come back in? Where's like kind of like joy kind of come back into the play? Um, with this, it was very much like I sat and, and I and I kind of just immersed myself in like the weight of it. And I genuinely think, Abby, like I, I do think like that was really helpful because I think mm-hmm. it's really easy to kind of like, in a lot of, in a lot of situations, because pain can be so overwhelming and because like, it can be like, so, uh, deep and triggering, uh, that like the MO is to avoid it, um, in some way or circumvent it or expedite the process. And I really do think like the time that like was spent right as he was passing away. And then subsequently just immersing myself in the emotions was very good for the long term. while it was more painful probably. And like, you know, uh, inevitably like kind of left me with like a whole array of other emotions that I didn't have words for. I think mm-hmm. it was definitely a really good antidote for the long term to like right. be able to like converse about it, be able to communicate, be able to like mm-hmm. actually, you know, honor and commemorate mm-hmm. his name. Um, so I think, I think that was, and I didn't, like I said, I didn't have all the words for it mm-hmm. back then, just like mm-hmm. present and kind of unfolding, but mm-hmm. since then I've been able to kind of mm-hmm. realize that a little better. And I definitely see like, the benefits for, as Lisa said, sitting in it and facing it because it, it doesn't go away. The pain is there regardless if you decide to deal with it now or months later or years later, it comes out in some way. And obviously you were with a team. So you were with a team of people who knew Kyle. So like you said, everyone copes differently. How did that, how did other people cope and how did that affect how you cope? You know, it can be easier than to slip in, like wanting to hide your emotions because someone else is. Like, how did you, I guess, feed off of each other going through that as a team dynamic? Yeah, I think I think the biggest thing was like honoring one another's like coping mechanisms and very, very much like, you know, some team members like kind of shelled up and became really calloused and, you know, didn't necessarily communicate about it. Um, you know, and with those people, I had like a very different kind of like approach. It would be much more like a one on one, like kind of checking in periodically, like, hey, how are we? And do not doing it in a situation where it was like, you know, not cornering them, but also not right. doing it in a situation where it was like in a broader group setting. So they actually felt comfortable to express emotions if they mm-hmm. wanted to. Um, but I think, I think the biggest thing was 
like having this, like providing the space, like explicitly to be like, Hey, like there's no way to wrap this up or frame this in a way where it's good Mm -hmm. Uh, or or where there's like, uh, you know, there's, and I, and I, I think that there's a big inclination similarly to like find silver lining right after tragedy happens. And I don't think that's really healthy. Um, I think in large, but like, I think long-term sure, but in, in the midst of pain and in the midst of anguish and, and kind of like suffering, like there's nothing you can say to a family member. There's nothing you can say to a friend that is going to like fully resonate and like kind of sink in and be like, Oh, like that. Like it honestly, if someone had been like, Oh, well, like, you know, Kyle sort of just like, I probably would have said, fuck you. Part of my language. Mm genuine like you do not want to hear that in the midst of, yeah. of suffering the sugar um, coating's not helping yeah no no exactly not it's like it's raw it's painful it hurts mm-hmm. um and i also think like acknowledging that and making that the kind of tone within the team was really helpful because it was like solidarity it's like okay we don't we don't need to you know depict ourselves as like having it all together and being like mm-hmm. super resilient it's like that will come with time mm-hmm. right now it's right now it's painful um and it eventually transcended that and like got into like a situation where or how it played out was very much like hey like we want to honor Kyle we want to kind of like mm-hmm. run well and and you know even in even regardless of results like just have like a more tight-knit like kind of cohesive team that mm-hmm. kind of rallies around each other is there like emotionally as well as like mm-hmm. physically on the track um and I think that was really big um so simultaneously like recognizing people more differently approaching people with different uh having different approaches with different people and then also ensuring that the platform was there the yeah. tone was set like it's okay to feel this way mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. not jumping to healing yeah and how do you think you I guess what is your advice to for maybe those who don't have that space and you know, maybe they're at a job where obviously no one knew the person so it's just you hurting how can someone give someone that space or how personally can someone give themselves that space without obviously airing out all of their personal business what do you think you could say to that yeah, that's a, that's a fantastic question. I think twofold. Um, one, I think practically speaking, it, it would probably be best to confide in someone mm-hmm. in that sphere. Um, does not need to be like a broader disclosure um, where you're kind of like discussing people like the severity of the situation, like it's private and you know, some people are feel comfortable sharing those things. Some people don't feel comfortable at all. And that's completely, you know, up to their discretion. I do think that like having someone and regardless of maybe like the extent that it's shared like having a little bit of a confidant where like if in the middle of your work day like you know you are feeling really overwhelmed whether it's your boss whether it's a coworker going on a walk or just being like hey i need a minute i you know emotional mm-hmm. like being able to step out of that context um or or in remote environment like signing off for a little bit mm-hmm. uh, and yeah i think um yeah, I think I think that's that's like that that's like a one big practical thing, and I think the other thing would probably be, um, well, yeah, that that that's I would say I would say that's 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 mm-hmm. the larger kind of like macro um, yeah. approach that I would have. Absolutely, just finding like Lisa, that one person rather than being by yourself is just not something that's like anyone can go through by themselves. Really, anything in life going by through the, by themselves. Actually, you just reminded me of the second thing. Thank you. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I would think like there's no timeline of healing, number one. And then so with that, like ha- intentionally carving out time, whether it's to not at work, but like outside of work, um, to process, to journal, to think, to walk, to pray, 
to have conversations with people, to sit in silence, whatever, however it needs to manifest itself, being intentional with that time, because Mm -hmm. it's really remarkable how easy it is to distract yourself from really painful emotions. Mm -hmm. Um, because you, they hurt, you don't Mm -hmm. want to, um, and so I think, I do think that the like explicitly carving out like intentional time, whenever it doesn't, doesn't matter. It can be Mm -hmm. like uh, effective for people's schedules, but even if it's just to feel, um, even if it's just to allow yourself the space to feel where you, and like, and I also think that that can help from a work standpoint, because then you're quote unquote able to compartmentalize a little bit better because you're giving yourself, giving yourself the space to feel outside of that context. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a little, that's an outlet. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so you mentioned praying. And so as some, a person of faith, like did this, how was that for you? Did this make you upset at God? Does it make you question your faith when you do lose someone so close? You're trying to understand like this person was so young and so amazing. Like how is that? Cause I know for me, I can only imagine, I know for other people, they say like, they just hate God for the They're just not understanding. How was it for you, for your journey of faith? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, initial reaction, yeah, very mad. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You, you ask the question why you you kind of shake your fist. You, you know, you maybe withdraw, maybe you use harsh language, whatever it is. Um, and unfortunately, you may never get the answer of why. Um, and I think that's something that I had to kind of come to, to terms with. Um, and it's, it's not something where, yeah, it's, it's not something that like, I guess it never quote unquote, like fully, it can be like, yeah, let me frame it this way. I would say it never, it will never like fully go away whatever that kind of like pain is but how like how it impacts you will change and evolve with time mm-hmm. um you know like I don't for instance and what I mean by that is like I don't think about Kyle now and, and cry necessarily or mm-hmm. don't feel super sorrowful um you know and, and I I am one of, I, I hate that the answer to certain questions is time like I hate it mm-hmm. it's such a it's such Great. a crappy answer it's the worst I don't want to hear that unfortunately cliches are cliches for a reason mm-hmm. um and and not that like and not that I would say that to someone in this context like hey it'll take time like no like no what you say what you say is that it sucks it's painful mm-hmm. I'm sorry I love you and you give them a hug and you sit with them in solidarity mm-hmm. and I think with I think that that solidarity piece actually harkening back to the faith component um like even though like I it originally kind of like my initial response was like frustration and like mm-hmm really strong like irritation with god it was like the notion of him like him being with me in the midst of that and like that kind of solidarity it's like that was helpful with time it wasn't like the perfect antidote it wasn't it did not mitigate all the pain and all the suffering that like i was feeling um it didn't like kind of like you know make me necessarily um cater better to his parents or, or, you know, give me words to say to his parents necessarily, but it was, it did help me practically like empathize with others who were simultaneously going through it and mm-hmm. be someone that could be that tangible manifestation of what I felt like I had from God. Right. Um, and I thought that, that was a really powerful thing. It's like, okay, I don't fully understand it. 
I will mm-hmm. never, you don't understand human suffering and, and you know, why people die at such young ages. There's no, there's no good answer. Right. Um, listen to a lot of theologians, a lot of like very mm-hmm. intelligent human beings across the world talk about it. There's no good answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the notion that like one of our super superpowers as human beings is like being able to be with one another in, in solidarity in the midst of suffering, I think is something that God has given us, um, mm-hmm to be that representation. Mm-hmm. That's not, that's not an answer that I would say to someone right now, like right. in the middle of like mm-hmm. the morning, but I do think with time. Like you said, way. and you touched on us like realistically how it was at first with God and obviously the frustrations and the anger and the whys and all the questions. But I feel like that's definitely real too, where it's like eventually when there are no answers, you kind of just look to the one like quote unquote thing where it's like, technically God has all the answers. So I'm just going to have to trust that you have it because like you said, you have solidarity with humans, but us humans don't even know. Mm-hmm. And it feels like kind of the only thing it's like, I hate you right now, God, yep. I'm upset at you. But I know at the end of the day, I'm probably, you're probably the only one I can lean on right now at the same time too, like fully. Yeah. On, on that note, one, one last, one last thought on that specifically, mm-hmm. I would just say like, I, I think I, I iterated this earlier, but mm-hmm. there is, there is no, time frame for healing there is no time and how and how people feel at any point during the grieving process valid it, there's no there's no like paradigm there's no way to like yeah there's like a kind of like five step, steps of grieving first of all that's a little bit right. misconstrued because it's mm-hmm. like when people are actually dying like that's what that was supposed to be for originally just right. a fun little anecdote um but with that like there is there's no right way to feel um it it doesn't and like if someone has you know potentially like already coped with like a death and feels like they're in a good place like i i would always like especially if it's like really short shortly thereafter i would you know always encourage people to like feel and give them the platform to share if like they actually are not fully okay and they are maybe putting on a facade Mm -hmm. however who am i to say that they have not coped with it in a much Mm -hmm. different than i would have Mm -hmm. um and if someone's a year out you know and they're still grieving like Similarly, like there, there's no timeline and there's no right or wrong way to feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we, I think we can misconstrue it or look to like, you know, examples in our lives or icons in our lives or social media and, you know, articles, things like that. It's like, there's, right. there's no, there's mm-hmm. no paradigm here. And I'm so happy that you said that, especially dealing with this podcast, obviously we talk about friendship breakups and like friendships ending because of other reasons. And I feel like especially we haven't been through the experience of losing a friend to death we try to compare those pains and they like, say so where it's like, okay, well this timeline, like I should be over this in a few months, like a heartbreak or anything like that. And it's like, it's, there is no timeline, especially if it's your first time, how are you going to put something, a timeline, something that you've never been through? Exactly. There's no precedent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. There's, there's, yeah, I completely agree. And even if it is a second or third friend, there's still no precedent because every situation is different. And like you grow older, you learn more, you know more, something might hurt more. Maybe it's a closer friend. And just, I think, that's like one of the key things coming from this episode right now that we're saying is like, there's no timeline. There's no precedent. You are allowed to feel right. what you want in that moment for however long you want. We need to give ourselves that to as friends, family, and just humans in general. Yeah. And, and it's also not like, it's not just like some fanciful rhetoric, right? It's not just like this cute, like, yeah, everybody feel how you want. Like, well, no, it's like, it's like genuinely like mm-hmm. the kind of scope of emotions that are felt in here and the relationship to an individual, like for instance, Kyle is not the same to me that he was to Austin necessarily, or mm-hmm. he was to like Jay necessarily, or who he was to you. And so it's like, so like, and even like 
we're just such nuanced beings. And so it's like it, in the event that some people are better with coping with emotions or some people are not worse necessarily, or like not as attuned to it or not like as like kind of willing to feel those things because they don't know how to like handle them or articulate them. It's like it, and it's not to like say like, it doesn't matter. It's far more to say like there there's, it's really easy for us to kind of like compare and contrast to ensure that like, we are doing it the right way just because you know, we always view that there to be like a right mm-hmm, and wrong like systematic people yeah a lot of facets of society and so it's like with with death and mourning and grieving there there can't be it's mm-hmm. it's too it's too vast it's too much of a scope um too many different dynamics at play mm-hmm. um yeah i just wanted to reiterate like it, it, it's not no, it's not for saying it for the sake of it it's mm-hmm. it's true no, I appreciate it. I can feel it. I know they can't see your face because it's a podcast, but <laughs> everyone knows that he feels this and this is a real genuine statement <laughs> that he's making here. And so now years later, making it a little bit more positive, how do you continue to keep Kyle's legacy alive? Uh, I think a couple of different ways, like one and, you know, now, like, I also don't like the language of like silver lining, things like that. But like, mm-hmm. I do think like certain things that have come out of it that I feel are um, wholesome are like, one would be like my relationship with his parents, um, you know, and like able to like communicate with that uh, or excuse me, communicate with them far more frequently and kind of hear, you know, just, just being a part of their lives. Like it, mm-hmm. it, it was like, it was a very weird phenomenon to like only really know them as their son was dying and like mm-hmm. kind of like, yeah understand them as people in that context and subsequently um that was like a beautiful relationship that kind of like manifested from this and that's not necessarily like that's a little bit more kind of unique to my situation however like more kind of like broad broadly speaking I would definitely say that like it it has it has transcended like this kind of like admiration that I had for Kyle and very much like kind of lives out in a very like practical way like mm-hmm. it's not just like his his phrase which I don't you know as you know but mm-hmm. like I don't know if your listeners know is attitude is everything and like you know he that has been super emblematic as to like the kind of way that I approach life the way that I approach relationships the way that I approach friendships um and work in my professional sphere you know like it has been it has become like an intrinsic motivation for me to like recognize that like you know, the, the generic quote of like, you know, you not, what is it? 90%. You can't control like 90% what happens to you. Mm-hmm. It's like percent of how you're um, reacting to it. Yeah. <laughs> um, like once again, hate cliches, but they're true. And like that, this attitude is everything kind of phrase has been the, has been the very thing that has like allowed me to like reframe like my mindset in so many contexts. And it's also like impacted my family. Like I have my, like Bryce, I have my little brother. He will text me out of nowhere, just like randomly and be like, Hey bro, attitude is everything. Let's get after it today. Like those kind of like my, my parents have been impacted by this. Like my close, I had actually quick, fun little anecdote. I don't even know if you know this, but like when I was in felt right after I graduated from Colorado, Mm -hmm. uh, I do fellows in Charlottesville, which was like a weird little developmental program, Mm -hmm. but really, really great, intimate, like community of friends. And they like I shared my testimony and Kyle's a big part of that and then a year later when it was my birthday at the end of the program they threw this big surprise party for me they all contacted his parents uh they raised like three thousand dollars in his name for the kids that were don't like that being sponsored by the KMAC Foundation to go to the Colorado football games 
And then they read me a letter from his parents about like the impact that like Kyle's had not only on me, but in like all these other areas of life. And like, it was one of the most like beautiful, like culminations of like a narrative that I've ever seen. It was like this, like I, I, Gabby, I have not like been able to like not look at people in the eyes because of like how blessed I felt, but like, I couldn't look anyone around me in the eyes because of like what they did, not just for me, but because of Kyle. And like, they were like, not only the money they raised, but the camaraderie that was had, like how everyone was moved by it how like all the things that were done like behind the surfaces and things like that. It was just unbelievable. Mm -hmm. absolutely Unbelievable. Uh, And so like, that was like, like just a little anecdote as to like Mm -hmm. how he's impacted so many people beyond me Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. just by sharing and just by Mm -hmm. kind of like trying to like honor his name in that way. Yeah. I think when people pass away, we ask, especially when years pass that things has to be, we think it has to be this big thing, but really it's like when you carry it, down their personality, what they would say, what they would do, you know, when you think to yourself, what would Kyle do or say, that keeps their legacy going for so long, that keeps them alive in a way, his spirit alive. So like I said, even when it happened years later, even though I never met him, I felt his spirit because just of how you all would talk about him, how you all, like I said, on the walls and everything like that, I think that's so important for our listeners to know is like, the person's, you know, obviously their physical being is not here, but their spirit, who they were, doesn't have to die with them as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like, uh, like with time, it's like incumbent upon the people who mm-hmm. knew someone to like honor that and like not only cherish it and like appreciate it, like I said, not in an admiration sense, but also to like emulate it and live it out. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever characteristics they found fond in a certain person. Mm-hmm. So then if Kyle were here right now next to you, what do you think he'd say to you? His personality, who he was, what do you think he'd say to you right now? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think... I think it would, yeah, I would, I think he would look at me in a really goofy face. He'd smile at me and say, Gary, love you, man. I think that's what he said. I think, I think it would come off like initially, like one of those, like really kind of like goofy kind of flippant ways of saying something. And then he would do it. Love you, man. Yeah. And I can tell you feel that love as if he was really saying that to you right now. And again, that just is special and I can see it. They can't see in your face, but we can hear it in your voice. (laughs) (laughs) And so kind of wrap it up. What is this? And maybe I know we covered so much and I know this will end up being way more than I expected. You have been amazing in this and just going so deep into it. I just can think of all the people this is going to help back home for my friends who just lost a friend back home and other people as well. What are maybe just a couple of things on the top of your head, last things you would like to say for anyone who either has gone through this or eventually uh, will go through this experience of losing a friend. Don't, don't be afraid to feel um, emotion, like regardless of, you know, some people like to claim that they're emotional. Some people like to claim that they're not emotional at all. Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid to feel whether it's in the, in the context of, other humans like doing it by sharing things or whether it's like alone you know crying or just like feeling like I said before like sitting don't don't shy away from feeling because like we said it kind of towards the beginning like the feelings will percolate to the surface in in some way like if 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 you don't process now and like like I said there's no there's no timeline but you know if you don't allow yourself the space to feel the frustration or anger or sadness or whatever emotions that you're feeling will find their way to the surface. Mm-hmm. Uh, so give yourself the space to feel. Um, and yeah, like once again, like each each their own, but confide in others. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, whether it's someone who knew them, whether it's someone uh, that you just want to kind of like share with to like have, like I said, like a confidant that's like in a work context or, you know, personally, professionally, what have, what have you. Um, the, the actual act, one thing in my, in my own experience, the, the act of verbalizing an emotion, even if you don't have the like fully articulated like thoughts, um, getting them removed from like the swirling in your mind and, and you know, kind of like it helps a lot because of the fact that it's, it's no, it's no longer kind of like, and in doing it with like someone else who can be a sounding board, even if, even if they're just listening, even if they're like, you don't want them to say a word, it's really validating. It's really, heal. it's, it's very, it's very healthy. And I think it can be a really big, like healing process. Um, and maybe you're not ready. I'll pack it somehow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, that's what I'd say. Well, Garrett, thank you again from the bottom of my heart for deciding to be on here, for being willing to share all of that. I hope all you listeners got something out of this. Like I said, if you've been through this before or go through it in the future, Garrett, thank you so much. I know we are all so appreciative of this episode and listening to you today. Thanks, guys. Love you. Love you, too. In the beginning, we were inseparable.